Yeah, I think we're live right now, everybody. It's very exciting. This is MC Till with Everybody's Hip Hop Label. You are tuned into the Blue Back Chat. This is number 11. And want to give a, a special uh, shout out to our uh, non-official sponsors, Everybody's Records, Cincinnati. If uh, you need some CDs, some records, just go to everybodysrecords.com and buy you some and support a local record store. All right, Bo Brown and Amber Brown are with us for the conversation tonight. Welcome, Bo and Amber. How are you? Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, we're both doing great. Um, as you mentioned earlier, um, with tantrumic children, we, we've also had recently experienced that. So um, that might be the, the heaviness in the eyelids, some of that. But uh, we're great. Good. Good. Coming down from the bedroom, you know, bedtime tantrums yeah. yeah 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 there's there's lots of tantrums with kids <laughs> well thanks for being here i got my my lovely better half miss larita what's up how you doing hi good, to see good. You. hello good good <laughs> uh so i want to show you guys some albums that i know that uh you enjoy and start off the show with that and then we'll jump into a whole his a whole host of different things we're going to talk about tonight so first album i want to show you you can give me your response uh, as to what this album means to you in your life. So this is Common and his album B. What does this album mean to you, Amber? You want me to just give you a word or? No, no, like what, it, like, tell me about it. Like, oh, you, I think you're... just like chill and sexy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> chill and sexy, I like it. <laughs> yes, dope. Yeah. All right. Man. Oh, is that because that's Amber's album, right? You can go. Yeah. What do you think about it, Bo? No, I mean, I think that was his first album that was like almost completely produced by Kanye. Um, yeah. And I think Kanye was at the top of his game at the time. And, um, you know, songs like Testify um, on there, like he was really doing some not new things, but I, I felt like he was um, really coming into his own with storytelling and um, man, it's just, I think it's not my favorite common album, but one of like top three. Right on, right on. And how about this album right here? Beats, Rhymes and Life by A Tribe Called Quest. It's so crazy that this is like, I feel like so underrated um, because like it did so many things for me that introduced the Uma with uh with jay dilla and and q-tip and ali shaheed muhammad um with their production and then um it has just so many hits on there too like i was really into like singles so you had like once again on there um and you had the hop which wasn't i mean wasn't really a single but just was a really dope song but could have uh, been yeah yeah for sure very dope Love so that do you all remember like your first uh, memory of hip hop that like made an impression on you? Oh, is this the brown sugar question? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I do. I remember just like listening to Miseducation in the car, driving and just feeling like, I don't know, like I was myself, like listening to that music on that album and singing along and that was probably my biggest like moment where I was really really drawn to hip-hop music mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think mine was like a 
probably LL Cool J. Um, Mama said, knock you out. Um, when I heard that, it was just like so aggressive and so mm. raw. Um, and it felt like something I shouldn't be listening to. So I wanted to listen to it um, as a kid. And uh, yeah, I really, I just remember that as a definitive moment. Like, man, this is gonna, this music is gonna stick with me for a long time. So you all been married 11 years? Did hip hop play any role in you all getting married or coming together in your relationship? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> tell me more. You tell the story better than I do. It was just, well, you remember Facebook used to be just college students. <laughs> so we were, we were both in different groups on Facebook. I don't know if you remember, they used to have all those like kind of groups you could join that with people that were like-minded or whatever mm -hmm. and um there was a group that Bo and I were both in that had something to do about our faith that we both shared and then there was another group that was like about hip-hop and we both shared it and it was kind of this um connection that I was like oh that's interesting like we're both in these same groups and let me reach out to this person yes I reached out to him first <laughs> nice <laughs> And yeah, but yeah, it's a, it played a huge part because it was kind of, you know, we obviously Facebook, we were just looking at sort of characteristics. It's like a dating app at the time, kind of. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's, and it continues to, to be a major part of our life too, because, you know, we met you all through music and hip hop and yes, uh, yes. We, you know, we've shared a lot of really great memories and times listening and enjoying shows and and traveling to see people so yeah yeah anything yeah, to add though i mean that was the first uh, message like private message she slid into my dms and, and she said <laughs> uh, she said hey you seem cool um you know we have the same faith commitments and um you like hip-hop and i was like who is this girl like, that instantly piqued my interest not not the faith part whatever but it was definitely like oh this what do you mean hip-hop like that was my next question like who who do you listen to and so once I found out like she kind of knew what she was talking about not um, like he knows what he's talking <laughs> about though I'm definitely not a full-on hip-hop head I don't know that much but <laughs> you know enough you know, apparently you know enough you know enough, enough yes. that he was like okay, okay. yeah <laughs> yeah well, Larita and I go ahead Bo no I'm just saying I'm not an expert you know by any stretch of the imagination so <laughs> but um, well, yeah go ahead yeah I was gonna say full disclosure for everyone listening in uh Bo and Amber have been good friends uh Larita and I Larita and I are married and so we've been good friends with Bo and Amber for a long time and I remember uh, Larita rapping to me at a, was it Denny's? It was Denny's. Oh, it was IHOP. IHOP. You broke out an Eve verse. Yes. Rough Riders, Eve. And I was like, all right. I, I think I might, I might uh, propose. Yeah. <laughs> right there at the IHOP. Right there at the IHOP. I thought about it. He did like, you know, sit up a little bit more when I started rapping. Like, oh. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, like a southern belle. So, any anyone that has been married or been in a long 
long-term relationship knows that oftentimes the beginning feels great and you, you know you get to know each other it's very exciting and then some reality settles in and you get to know certain things about the other person and challenges uh, come and and we're faced with these challenges and tonight i want to talk a little bit about uh, mental health issues um and what was that like but you we'll, we'll talk more about it when we jump into the book and that conversation but what was that like when um you know amber when you found out that Bo was struggling uh, with, with mental health concerns? Like, how did you find out? And, you know, how did you react to that? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it was pretty, you know, when you first start dating somebody, they kind of hide parts of themselves. But the more you spend time with somebody, the more you sort of understand who they are and how they mm -hmm. kind of function. And, um, and so I don't think it was ever something that was like, oh, hold on, wait a minute, you have depression or whatever. But it was just like a learned sort of um, thing about Bo. And we also have always been really honest about it and pretty upfront about um, our needs individually. You know, I don't suffer from mental illness, but I, you know, we both are pretty open with what we need and, and how that works. And so early on, it was kind of a lot of um, just sort of figuring out how we could spend time together in the best way for us to grow in our relationship, but also um, to give Bo the time that he needed to be, um, you know, in his introverted self, um, kind of regaining some, um, I don't know, you know, just, just kind of having the time that he needed to feel healthy and feel um, comfortable and how he was doing his life too at the time, so. It sort of just started that way, just you know, naturally and um, with us just continuing to be really honest, um, even from the very beginning. And it was definitely tough. There were definitely times where I wasn't understanding everything that he needed and he wasn't sure how to be clear about it with mm -hmm. me also. Um, but we, you know, we're not perfect, but we're working it out every day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Bo, I'm sure that was hard trying to communicate, you know, that to Amber. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I didn't really know what was going on inside my head at the time. I didn't know really how to name it or what I needed. Um, so it was still like getting to know myself and my own um, experience and then trying to live into a relationship with somebody else that you know, let's face it, if mental health issues can affect um, a relationship negatively, um, especially if they go untreated. And so um, I, I had a big fear of that, like either um, I'm going to push her away um, or, um, you know, I, she's going to perceive my depression and my um, need to get away at times um, as sort of being standoffish and not being into her. So um, there was a, there were a lot of dynamics at play there. Yeah, for sure. And before we move forward, tonight's a little different type of conversation. So if, uh, generally we wait till the end to do like Q and A's, but um, if you're in the session, Larita or Adrian, and you want to chime in and ask questions or offer thoughts, uh, please just jump in and you know, offer those thoughts or questions, okay? 
so Bo, did you find any comfort in hip hop songs that specifically spoke to mental health and depression? Yeah, I mean, it was really one of my main sources of, of comfort and encouragement throughout my life. Like I could just remember, you know, like every white middle school kid in the 90s, like being obsessed with Tupac. Um, and Tupac, even though, you know, he, he died at such a young age, but man, he seemed like he had really gone deep into yeah. his own psyche and really done some serious self-examination. And it, it seemed like he really knew himself and, and knew humanity in a way that, that not a lot of people do at that such a young age. So I just remember like, you know, listening to keep your head up, um, even though it wasn't really directed at people like me, um, sort of by osmosis, I, I picked up that encouragement and like, he was primarily talking to black women in the song, but like, that's the thing about Tupac for me is he was so um, specific and local um, but at the same time, so universal um, that he could be speaking right to a single person, but he's also speaking to everyone at the same time. So um, Tupac was a big influence. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think back to even somebody like uh, Scarface. Um, Scarface has been really open about his um, mental illness uh, over the last 30 years or so. Uh, Bushwick Bill too. I mean, yeah, yeah. they both um, struggled in that area um, and have been pretty honest about it. And so like, you know, I listened to a song like My Mind's Playing Tricks on Me. And um, again, not not my experience. I, I think, you know, he's talking about um, living in a neighborhood and, and being in situations that he's actually fearful for his life, um, that he, he might not live to to a ripe old age. Um, and so that's not my experience. That's not why I was feeling depressed. I always felt relatively safe, uh, at least physically. Um, but still it, it spoke to me like to, th mm -hmm. to think that like these people are uh, like through poetry, um, really navigating their way through the, the really sometimes rocky terrain of our, of our human psyche. Yeah. Uh, sort of like, amateur psychologist or armchair psychologist in some ways. Yeah, and, and you've followed that uh, vein in creating your own art. And so I wanna jump into the book that you uh, wrote right here, No More Churches, Bill Brown. Um, so there's a, a number of things I wanna chat with you about from this book. And Larita, if you have uh, any, any thoughts too, uh, you can chime in anytime. Um, but I, I kind of want to start with some of the more superficial things and then kind of dive deeper. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was a story that you told in this book where you are, um, you're leading in a church service. So for those that don't know, you, how long were you a pastor, a senior pastor? Um, I was, or yeah, a pastor. seven years. Yeah, I was ordained in 2012 and then left congregational ministry in 2019 so so the the book no more churches is basically your journey getting into that role as a pastor living in that role and then leading that role mm -hmm. is that a, a correct synopsis yeah for <laughs> sure yeah, um nice encapsulation yeah thank you, thank you. 
So early on, you talk about how I, I don't, you're not a pastor yet at this point. You're like like an intern, basically. And yeah. you're leading a part of the church service. And the people are supposed to remain standing <laughs> or they're supposed to sit down and you tell them to remain standing or something like that. Yeah. And that was like a big deal. <laughs> and either that morning or another morning at the same place, you didn't have a tie on. <laughs> and that was a big deal that you weren't wearing a tie. And right. I, that really resonated with me because when I was uh, doing a lot of performances with our buddy, Wanda Brown, we would perform everywhere, bars, churches, schools, didn't matter. And the places where we felt the most freedom were, was always like at a bar or you know, a space like that cafe. And the places we always felt the most restricted, like we couldn't be who we are was in churches, which is yeah. nuts. Did yeah. you get that sense when you were in ministry that for whatever reason, churches seem to be restrictive places and not places that people can be them full, their full selves. Yeah, totally. And I, I think one thing that uh, is sort of like a subtle message that you get through seminary and um, just kind of getting into that leadership role is to not be controversial. Um, mm. And so that's the key message I got again and again, do not be controversial. And I think there's like some wisdom there. Like you don't want to go into a place um, before you gain the trust of people and just try to shake things up. I'm, that's not my goal. I want to learn the culture um, and, and not purposefully offend people. That's, that was never my goal. But I feel like the um, value, the highest value in a lot of churches is uh, we're not going to, cause any controversy we're not going to do anything that can cause um, anybody to leave and take their money with them mm. uh, so there's such this delicate balance of like this whole thing could fall apart at any moment and we might piss off god or we might piss off you know so and so who's a millionaire like there's all these things and like at a bar you just go maybe there's a one drink minimum or not and you know uh you just go hang out with people and it's there's as long as you're not getting in a fight with somebody you're, you're pretty much good um yeah and uh so dress code all those things don't apply um and i think um that creates a, that sense of freedom that is missing in a lot of religious institutions so Amber, when Bo, when Bo was coming home telling you about being chastised for not wearing a tie, like what was your reaction? How, how did that make you feel? Um, I mean, I don't, I didn't like it, <laughs> of course, but I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of fear still in the way that churches function. Um, like Bo said, there's a lot of fear of losing um, members who contribute a lot of their time or their money or you know, whatever, whatever they're giving. Um, and so, you know, there's, and, and that's probably a lot in an older generation for sure. And so, you know, that comes with these sort of antiquated traditions that <laughs> you have to wear a tie and you have to do everything exactly the right way or mm -hmm. everybody's going to get upset. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess there's something to say for routine and tradition, but sure, I definitely didn't like having him come home and and tell me that he was like reprimanded for things like that or you know because 
to me, it's not why you go to church and it's not why you are a part of that place. So, yeah. Yeah, and Bo, you mentioned um, like you didn't want to just go in there and offend people just to offend people. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you talked about dynamic stretching in the mm -hmm. book as opposed to static stretching. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. Do you remember that, that concept? Can you share that concept a little bit? Yeah, in like in preparation for, you know, physical activity, there are a couple schools of thought about how to do proper stretching. So it used to be what I remember in like grade school PE class is like you um, reached, like you do a sit and reach and you hold the sit and reach for like 30 seconds and then you pull back and then you're stretched. Um, some people are saying now that that weakens muscles and so it creates um, a higher chance of injury during the physical activity. Um, so what a lot of exercise scientists say today is that dynamic stretching is better for you. And dynamic stretching is kind of like you're stretching a rubber band back and forth. Um, so rather than holding a stretch, you um, go down, maybe hold it for a second and come back and then go forward and, you know, not bouncy, so to speak, but like really intentional movements and um, yeah, more rhythmic. And so you, you end up with um, less weakened muscles, sometimes even strengthened muscles, and you're less likely to injure yourself when you go into playing basketball or whatever you're doing. Right. And so you kind of parallel that with like, your involvement with stressful situations, you know, yeah. within church culture, um, which led to, you know, some extreme fatigue, stress, um, and even a night that uh, led you to the hospital. And if you don't mind, I want to jump into that. Um, the, the story was so uh, cultivating, cultivating, that's not the right word, captivating, captivating, maybe it cultivates, Captivating. Yeah. Um, so you you were in a, a space for five years and pastoring a church, making friendships, a support system. Um, then you move mm -hmm. to a new new place, new church, new role, and you find out very quickly that this is very stressful. Um, and you help officiate a, a funeral, mm -hmm. and then you have a panic attack, and the senior pastor takes you to the the hospital um and there is a paragraph here that i want to read if that's okay with you that sure. was just I, I, it was just a real deep paragraph and just made me pause and really think and then you can share a little bit more about that experience so it said little did i know how demoralizing this was going to feel at first i was now under suicide watch this meant that i had to surrender all my clothes my wedding ring my cell phone everything I was given these mustard colored scrubs and that was it. Here I was, underwearless and institutionalized, a minister, a man with an incredible wife and two wonderful children, a man who seemingly had everything going for him. And one of the reasons that really stuck out was just the vulnerability in that paragraph. You know, I, I'm sure that wasn't an easy thing to write and you know, share with the world. But I'm glad you did, and I thank you for doing it because I'm sure lots of people out there can really resonate, you know, with that paragraph. And can you share a little bit more? Because you go on to talk about the ordinary people, 
that you met there and, and Rodney and these experiences that had, you know, kind of a profound impact on you. Can you share a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, it was wild. Um, you know, you, you grow up watching these shows like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or movies like that. And um, they paint this, um, this picture of and quote unquote, like an asylum where people are just sitting around catatonic and they're dangerous. And, um, and I, I don't know, maybe it was like that at some point, um, but that's not what I experienced at all. Like what I experienced was just humanity there with me. Yeah. Um, there were probably a total of like 15 people. Um, and some I got to talk to about um, why they were there. They were open. <laughs> about it in like our, our group therapy meetings. Um, some were a little more, bit more closed off, but you know, we had like racial diversity there. We had age diversity, like, um, and like I said, um, people that were in there for drug use disorders, people that were in there because um, they've, for whatever reason, um, been in a very stressful situation and felt like that was the only option. Um, so, so many different um, types of people and reasons for being there. And I was like, after that first night of extreme discomfort, I was like, man, I, I actually kind of like it here <laughs> um, because all of the sort of facades were dropped. Like people were just like, hey, I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm weak right now. Um, I need help. Um, and we were able to to strengthen each other by um, offering encouragement. Um, and um, I, I just, I, I still think about some of the people that I met there and, and how incredible um, they were in, in many ways and how strong they were. Because I think it takes strength to say, hey, hey I've, I can't do this on my own right yeah. now. Um, I need the support of a community. I need the support of professionals who know how to how to handle situations like this, like I'm going yeah. through. Um, and so I, I met some really strong people there. And one guy in particular, um, he was uh, on the staff and uh, his name was Rodney. Um, I think it changed his name to protect the innocent, but now I don't remember his real name. So. <laughs> Rodney's uh, good. We'll go with Rodney. Yeah. He looked like he stepped out of um, coming to America. Like... <laughs> He had the the long jerry curl that um, <laughs> his shoulders, and um, he had like gold hoop earrings, and um, he just he looked like he was kind of stuck in like 1983 or something. <laughs> um, but he's a, just a really cool guy, and um, he every morning we were there, he spent about like 20 minutes with me, um, encouraging me. Um, telling me about his story. Um, and there was just such like an open exchange of like authenticity there um, that you don't often experience, or at least I don't often experience in the workaday world. Um, even with some of my closest friends, it's, it can be hard to, to have that space to really say, hey, how are you doing right now? Because um, we're so busy all the time and there was nothing else that we could do for those couple days I was there than work on ourselves yeah and Amber what how was that for you was that a scary experience a, a empowering experience what, what was yeah. that um 
I mean, maybe, I don't know if I would say empowered necessarily, but I do think that um, it was really important for yeah. Bo and for our family. You know, I wouldn't have wanted him anywhere else at the time. And, you know, as much as I wanted him home, obviously, because I was home with our twins um, and he was there longer than we anticipated he would be there with, you know, no cell phone and so I couldn't really call and like talk to him or anything except for his like allotted time Mm -hmm. (laughs) to check in um which I don't even think that was every day it was like every at first at least it was every like couple days um wow or after how how long how long was it total I think it was like four days four days okay almost yeah almost yeah Yeah, they um almost after the first 24 hours maybe 36 hours I was feeling um I was not feeling suicidal anymore um but they they want to make sure um yeah rightfully so yeah for sure well thanks for sharing that um that was a a powerful part of the book it towards the end of the book you talk about a voice um that you were hearing like a voice that says like you're worthy you're good enough and you say something um, that other people have been telling you this for years and you say, but I didn't believe it until this moment. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have an idea of why, what changed? Like why at that moment you started to think, oh wait, yeah, I am worthy, I am good enough. I, I hit a breaking point in um, my last church that I was at, um, I had, some really difficult times um, came up a, a, against a lot of um, pushback on some conversations that I was trying to have with the conversation with the congregation. Um, the The session, which is like the governing body of the church, wanted to explore whether or not our church um, would be um, open and affirming for um, same sex couples um, to be married there. And so I kind of set up a process of conversation to kind of see how things were, how people were feeling about it. And what we discovered is about half were like adamantly for um, allowing this and like half were adamantly against. Mm. So we, I think I, you know, poked the beehive, so to speak, and um, I made some enemies. Um relatively quickly um and then you know having three and four year olds uh twins at the time um i I just felt like the whole world was kind of crashing down around me i was trying to take care of 200 people that were members of the church i was trying to take care of my family and i finally just had to give up and say i can't do this anymore um i've got to find a new path a new career path a new something else to do and, and thankfully, I had the privilege to do that. But once I said, um, hey, I, I, I've been going at this for seven years ordained, about five years before that in church work, it's just not me. Um, I, I got to let it go. And then all of a sudden, I, I felt like I heard that voice that said, mm. worthy, um, and um, things, can, things can be good. Um, yeah. There might be good things in your future which was a complete change of script. It was always like, whatever's coming next is gonna be bad. 
and yeah. finally it was like uh, some good things can happen in my life and and I can believe that yeah I have this image like when you're talking I have this image of like you fighting you know for those those years and like when you're when you're in a fight it's it's hard to hear it's hard to understand you know and have clarity but when you give up the fight it's like you can just watch and observe and it just sounds like at that point you just received it like oh yeah I'm good enough so that's cool it seems like too we had kind of I mean you know we started this right at the beginning of our marriage before we had kids and we definitely were getting to a point where we were like maturing more you know as just individuals and people um and it seems like that our last church, the last place that we were at, although Bo was up against some things that were not great, it also felt different. Like, okay, we could keep doing this, you know, we could keep having these sort of issues or there are great people here, there are great things about it, but, or we could just walk away, you know, it was also mm -hmm. a little bit of that too. Like, there are great things about it, but there are issues and we could just keep going on this like sort of, you know, uh, train that's just like on a track heading that way. But it just felt like, you know what, this isn't it. This isn't the yeah. thing that's going to yeah. be for us anymore. And, and definitely Bo getting to a place where he could find some wordiness outside of being a pastor. Um, like, you know, ministry definitely had always been, um, a part of his life even you know with you even and uh when you guys were younger in college and everything too so i think he just wasn't sure that there was something else out there that he could be good at that he you know and even though he didn't feel always that good at the ministry that we were doing um i think we just had to sort of mature into realizing like oh we don't have to like we don't have to keep doing this right <laughs> we can do something else um, even if it's a huge risk and we're just gonna like you know jump in and see what happens yeah yeah so this question is for for you amber and for larita when you read the book was there anything that stuck out to you from the book either a, a story or something you learned or just kind of the the whole essence of the book just anything stick out when you read it Louise, you can answer me what since I was just talking. Um, I don't have a book in front of me, but the the thing that pops up in my head was how Bo, you talked about how you and Amber silently suffered with trying to conceive. Because mm. um, I and I remember reading that and also thinking. I didn't know the degree of pain that you guys were experiencing trying to trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that made that made me sad for you guys because I mean I admire you. I think that you guys are a wonderful couple and just beautiful individuals. So that stuck out to me. Um, I know there was another one, but Adam has the book, so I would have to go downstairs. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's another part of the book that, and I I'm, don't mean to interrupt oh, yeah. you, but um, that I do mention is like people want to help, but a lot of times they have to they have to be asked. Um, they can't read your mind. They don't know what's going on in your personal life. 
but they they will help if a lot of times if you ask and so i've had to get better about that just saying hey I, I, this is what's going on um and a lot yeah. of people will just come out of the woodwork to to help mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure i think Am- yeah, yeah the thing that I, I feel like stuck out with me actually was the paragraph that you read um mm-hmm. only because it was something that i you know we we experienced a lot of the other things together, the other stories, but that instance was something that we didn't experience together because Bo was on his own um, in the hospital. And so reading that definitely was, it was good, you know, to just kind of get that perspective um, from him. You know, I mean, obviously we talked about everything when he came home and um, we had moments, but I think to see that kind of written down and, on paper, just knowing like what that experience was like for him mm-hmm. um, was really important for me because I was able to then sort of meet him where he was, you know, and is um, mm-hmm. being able to see that and also look back at it, you know, and have um, have that as a resource to even remember what he experienced. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it cut up a little bit at the end there, the connection, but... Um, mm-hmm. I, I got most of it and uh, yeah, I'm sure that was an emotional moment reading that chapter specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I wanna transition into your music, but before I do, the, there are two um, parts of the book that deal with race. And one, we don't, we don't have to go into it, but I, I found it very interesting that uh, you, you were at a dinner and a little, a little guy, a kid came up to you and asked you about hating Obama. So that's a very interesting story. And if you want to hear it, get the book. Oh, come on in. We're having some technical issue, issues at our house. So we're going to join. She's walking in on the back of yours. <laughs> Somebody's behind you. Yeah. So Rita's joining me in the screen now. Um, but Bo, can you share a little bit about your experience with race within church? I mean, you either the one experience that you share in the book or just in general, um, just did it open your eyes in certain ways and how people were dealing with race? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a church that was relatively diverse. Like there was a, it was a small African-American population in my church growing up. Um, and I really, uh, really valued that, like valued the music and uh, the preaching and, um, you know, a, a lot of elements of, of that culture, of their culture. Um, and then, um, so that was my experience of, of church growing up. Um, and then going to seminary and uh, joining the Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, part of the reason I joined the PC USA is um, for their from their historical stances on on race. Um, they um, during the middle of the civil rights movement, they uh, were very supportive in uh, preaching and money. Um, they actually contributed like $10,000 to the legal defense of um, Angela Davis, our denomination did at the time. Um, 
And uh, so really forward thinking in a lot of ways. But um, what I discovered when I got on the ground level in the congregations is that um, we have a lot of rural congregations. Uh, we have a lot of overwhelmingly white congregations. Um, and um, there's a lot of work to do um, in, in the congregation and in, in the congregations and in the de denomination. I'm still part of the denomination. Um, but there was no outward racism. Like, like I kind of experienced my childhood, you know, faith uh, upbringing, but um, the, the more subtle forms of racism that are sort of embedded into the institution and the systems, uh, at least I was more aware of those things um, as I got older and got into leadership and invited a friend one time. I don't think this is in the book, but um, she is um, part of the leadership of Black Lives Matter in Louisville, um, invited her to preach in small town, Illinois, um, and didn't get a lot of pushback on that, but enough. Like um, she, this was back in like 2014, um, when shortly after that, that phrase and that hashtag became more, was becoming more prevalent. Um, and, you know, she said it and she said, this is what I'm about. And implicitly it within that is like, this is what Bo's about because he's inviting me to preach. Um, so I got some pushback on that and uh, realized that like even a phrase as seemingly uh, innocuous as Black Lives Matter, um, just matter, like nothing else. Like Michael Chase said in his stand-up special, it's, it's like, no, that's kind of a low bar right there. It's just, it just matters. Um, and I got a lot of pushback on that. And I was very vocal on social media about my support for the movement for black lives and just didn't, you know, got the pushback and, and I don't and by any means want to compare the pushback I received to like the, the very real danger um, that other people have experienced, people of color. Um, on the other hand, like it provided the opportunity for uh, some people in that congregation and in, in that small rural congregation in Southern Illinois to come out and say, hey, I'm, yeah, that, that's what I'm about too. Mm -hmm. uh, that may not, might, may not have otherwise. So much so that like, I'm not saying we, we did this or like we're the reason this happened, but you know, about a week ago, we saw on Facebook Live that um, many of our friends from Olney, um, many of the people from our church were at a, you know, coordinating a Black Lives Matter rally there in this county that's, uh, I think it's 0.5% um, people of color um, and 99.5% white. So it's like, man, this, if we were a small part of that, awesome. Um, and if that phrase itself is not more, is not so controversial as it was five years ago or six years ago, awesome. Um, hopefully, Hopefully that it is not just a, a moral victory. Hopefully it gets you know embedded in systems and people's attitudes and the way they make decisions and, and all the rest. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of there are a lot of places throughout my ministry where race was a significant factor. Um, 
and a lot of which aren't aren't in the book. But the couple that I mentioned in the book were the kind were two of the situations that I felt like um, I really had really had to think on my toes to figure out how to respond. I like your response to the kid who asked you about hating Obama, but we won't go into that. So people look. You summed it up well um, about race. You said a certain percentage of people in our country think that racism will just go away if everybody stopped talking about it. They think that if we can just focus on what we have in common, people will learn to live in harmony. And I chuckled the other day when president, um, well, the occupier of the White House said that, that basically that same thing, you know, that if we just don't talk about it, it goes away. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people think that. Um, yeah. It's just not true. <laughs> Things just don't magically go away when you don't think about them. Right. So. No, I mean, it's like, you know, you think of the human body, um, if it has a systemic disease, um, you got to address it. You got to name it. You've got to figure out a treatment plan. You've got to pursue that treatment plan. And I think um, in theological terms, racism is uh, the original sin of this country. Um, yeah. Not only the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade and enslaving African people, but um, the genocide of Native American people um, as well. So. Um, <laughs> You can't even talk about America if you don't talk about racism. It's just part and parcel of, of what this country is all about. And, and not to say that I, I'm anti-American, um, but I, I think in order to be patriotic, you've got to be like brutally honest about the faults that, um, that need to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. And that issues of race come out in your book. Um, no more churches. So if you're out there and you've not uh, checked out this book yet, check it out. It's by Bo Brown. Um, but before you put out this book, you put out this album, correct? Is that the timeline? I think, yeah, because I think that um, the album came out like um, October 31st, maybe somewhere around there. Like I think it was Halloween or give it, give or take a day. And then the book was like Christmas Day. Yeah. So the album is Proof of Concept by Bo Brown, and I want to play, if it's all right with you, I want to play a little snippet from a song. We're going to um, play a little bit of a song called Nonsense, which I think the hook uh, you borrow from, is it Big Pooh? Yeah, yeah. I thought Probably. so. Uh, little Brother. You're a big fan of Little Brother, right? Yeah, minstrel shows, like on my top 10 albums. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll probably get into that here in a second. So, I, you know, this is streaming live, so I don't know if they, when they hear music in the background, they put it, you know, they take it down for copyright stuff, so I won't play a whole lot of it, um, but we will play a little snippet. So this is a little snippet from Nonsense off of Proof of Concept, and then we'll talk about it uh, after we play it. So here it is. I used to wonder if the pain would ever stop from the names that they would drop and the anger I would lock inside. The vitriol got into my brain, so suicide was a thought I'd often entertained. 
felt like my own parents didn't want me And if they didn't love me, then we have to put it bluntly Excuse my French, but my shoulder got a chip And it's big as a boulder and I can't live without it But can I live with it? I don't even know From the anger of the heart, my depression overflows And so it goes My silence is my defense Scared to be hurt, so I traffic in pretense Being someone else is so exhausting Integrity loss is too costly So I gotta forgive and let God take it And the pain hasn't stopped, but it's faded Dope, dope, dope so you in there, you said the anger of my heart. Uh, I forget the second line. Is depression overflows, something like that? Yeah, yeah. So is hip hop, uh, writing hip hop, recording hip hop, is it one of those ways in which you can get that anger out and just let go? Yeah, it's um, what I've heard is like depression is internalized anger. So mm -hmm. there's anger in, in my heart, like, you know, I think about the prophet Jeremiah talking about a fire shut up in your bones. And um, that's that's not supposed to stay there. It's I think it's supposed to come out in a productive way and um, stuffing it down creates um, deeper and deeper depression. So, yeah, I mean, I think like uh, writing is one of the ways the fire comes out like um, to sometimes I don't even know what's in there until I start put pen to paper or start typing. And, um, and I think like the 16 bar verse and the line, the hip hop couplet lines, it's just such a, like a great container for me to like say, hey, I'm, I gotta get 16 bars out. Like, and I, I think I can do a complete like train of thought here. And um, I, I don't often sit down and write a whole song in one sitting. Um, it's just, it's, um, you know, in, in the energy is not always there to do that. I know some people that's that's their MO, but um, I, I think the structure of a hip hop verse is just such a great, like I said, such a great container uh, for me to get this stuff out, um, what I'm thinking and what I feel. And kind of stepping back a little bit from that song and thinking about the whole album, did you go into it thinking, I'm gonna record an album? Or did you, were you just recording stuff here and there and thought, oh, okay, I can put this all together. How did the album come about? Yeah, so I actually did um, set out this time to write an album. Like I wanted, um, I wanted there to be a somewhat consistent theme. Um, and sort of the, the theme is that there's no real consistency other than like, I got to make an album. So um, <laughs> I, you know, I've written lots of songs over the years and, and um, never, you know, I've, I've gotten like two previous albums that didn't really push them. Um, but kind of the way I work is like, I have, I have to have a plan before I start or nothing's going to come to fruition. So I've written a lot of songs, but these songs were particularly written for this album. Um, and like I said, the, the theme was is just trying to prove the concept of I can make an album after like eight, eight, nine years hiatus after, you know, being a Presbyterian pastor for seven years. Um, that that's the whole theme of the album. And so, Amber, I'm very curious to know how you listen to Bo's music. Do you like when he makes a song, do you just listen to it right then and there? Do you not listen at all? 
do you wait till he finishes like an wow. album? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, okay, let me hear the next part. Let me hear the next part. Yeah, are you like that? Yeah, I'm always like waiting for more and more of it. But, but yeah, I'm, and then I like to just listen to it from beginning to end, you know, and just see what was going on and, and what he meant. I'm always excited when he's writing because <clears throat> I always love when he writes and um, it's just, it's fun for me too. And now we put it on, you know, with the twins in the car and they get to hear daddy too. And so it's really fun. It's really fun. So what do you think of this new album? proof of concept I really like it I haven't like honestly listened to it probably in a little while just with moving back home and and yeah. you know busy kids around but um but I like it a lot I mean I always Bo's mind is just always really amazing to me the things that he comes up with and like the way that he kind of pulls um just all this information that he's taking in constantly from all the things he's reading and studying um, and then how he can sort of shorten that into and condense it into you know 16 bars like you said or whatever it's it's pretty amazing to me so um you know anytime I can listen to his music I'm happy and <laughs> she just likes the beats mainly it's, it's I really like when I can sing along that's kind of my you know when there's like a chorus that has a little hook yeah. or something that I can sing to. <laughs> That's so, yeah that's yeah i was just gonna say like that made it so much uh easier to complete this album because the beats you gave me like 300 beats to choose from and so i just got to like play 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 oh this inspires me i've got to write something to this and um you you actually had worked with joe november as well or in you currently worked with joe november um, so there, a few of the beats um, were Joe November uh, contributed to them, and um, the the last song on the album um, was a Joe November beat, actually, um, with I think your drums on yeah. them. So yeah, yeah, just like man, those those just to have that pick of the litter, so to speak, that you had all these beats that I could just listen and say man that's dope i gotta i gotta put pen to paper on that one i gotta say the, the beats are pretty dope on this album yeah yeah <laughs> i hope i hope people have you gotten any feedback on the, on the music i hope people like it beats and lyrics. yeah yeah um I, I i have some regrets about not pushing it more um there was an initial push where I was, you know, releasing um, the out the the songs from the album, and you know, directing people to um, the iTunes link and the store link and things like that. But I didn't get out to do any shows, um, and I think that's as an artist, that's where you see a lot of your like recognition yeah. and people knowing about your music is from getting shows and I didn't really try to license the music or get on radio so I have some regrets about that but um you know I I, I think I'll definitely um as I work on this next project that will be part of the plan from the beginning yeah for sure for sure and you know I for those of you listening that have not heard the proof of concept album or Bo Brown's music I was thinking today like how to describe this new album and obviously the beats, like if you like sample based boom bap beats, 
that's kind of what I make. And so that's the sound, at least how that's how I would describe it. But lyrically, it came to me tonight as I was listening to this album. I feel like you you sound like a hybrid of Ka. You know Ka? I love Ka. Yeah. yeah. A hybrid of Ka and young RJ from Slum Village. Nice. Ka has it like just this, you know, this net like what Amber was talking about. Like you just have this knack of learning and then putting all that knowledge, you know, into the music. Similar to Ka, Ka's so brilliant in that way. And but your voice is soft, you know, it's like gentle, not like the sirens that just went by. <laughs> like young RJ. I don't know if you've ever listened to young RJ from Slum Village, but he has that real soft, you know, type. Oh, yeah. oh very dope. So yeah, sometimes like when I first listened to Fantastic um volume one, I was like, I, I can't even hear what this guy's saying. Like I gotta turn it up. Um, <laughs> well, that so. was the young RJ. He oh. came, that was, uh, young RJ came later in the group. Oh, that's right. Because it was originally Batin and um, uh, the other dude, the dude that's still that's around. Right. I can't remember his name. Um, Elza? Or? No, not Elza, man. T3, it was T3, Batin, who passed away, God bless his soul, and Dilla, who also passed away, God bless his soul. Yeah, huge loss. Uh, so I want to jump into one more song. Uh, this one is Courage. Might be my favorite joint on the album. And I really like this verse because you're taking it at people. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's why you call it Courage, but I'll ask at the end. So I'm just going to play again just a verse um, from it. And let me get it all queued up. So this is Courage from Proof of Concept by Bo Brown. Here it is. As you and I fighting over the same slice, but I refuse to see you as my enemy, even if I'm not really feeling your energy. Coincidentally, it doesn't make sense to me. Crabs in a bucket have never found the remedy. Fight with the courage of a champion. Prove them wrong when they say that it can't be done. Use your heart for what hearts are for, and live from the inside out, cause it's a war. Fearfulness combined with ignorance is a pestilence with no evidence. Group think is outrageous and contagious. All these baseless allegations are fallacious. Fox News drops cues that mold pops views. The stock market blues, so now they got you. 81% of evangelicals support a Nazi. Kids living in cages, can they not see? Or do they not care? Is this a nightmare? Why for us to have rights or they denied theirs? How can I not speak even if my voice cracks? Give me a platform, watch me exploit that. Say what I gotta say, do what I must. Cause the last thing you need is someone you can't trust. I will never say words meant to titillate ears. I'll fight with the fire to incinerate fear. Oh, that was dope, Bo. I like that verse. Thank you. Appreciate now, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now you use, use the word you in that song. And Adrian, who's on the call here, he, he gave you a clap. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but in this song, you you use the word you, so you're talking to someone. And also on the song, Black Jesus, you use the word you, and, and maybe in some other places too. And I'm always intrigued when MCs will speak to you. Mm -hmm. Is there a you that you were speaking to? Like, was there a person that you had in mind? Uh, maybe not like an actual individual that you met, but maybe it was that or a generality of use? Man, um, 
I think with that verse in particular, um, I come from a family who um, very kind people, um, but have some twisted political views. Um, and they know I, I feel like that. And we've had discussions about it and to the point where we're just like, we can't discuss this anymore. Um, so in, in some ways I was talking about what I'd seen, what I'm seeing in my family um, in their sort of embrace of the president. Um, and they know the way I feel about that. Um, you know, I talked about, you know, kids being in cages in that verse and like, a lot of that was, um, all of that was a result of this, this administration. And um, it it's, seems like a lot of people were looking past that, you know, in my family, but then I was seeing what was happening in my family, happening in my congregations that I was serving. Um, so really it's, it's you, um, the sort of um, evangelical Christian who, um, for whatever reason, 81% of you um, chose to support this man who acts like a Nazi. Um, and so uh, it, it is kind of taking some shots um, at people. Um, and it's funny though, like, I, I don't know if it's funny, but it seems like sometimes people are more willing to listen to that sort of pushback in a song Mm. They are, you know, me coming at them on Facebook or them coming at me on Facebook and me questioning, mm. you know, where they're coming from. So it seems like art really has that power sometimes. Yeah, it definitely does. And I always appreciate you pushing back, you know, with your art. Um, speaking of art, I was curious, Amber, did, were you the one that came up with this album cover? No. I was and Bo did that. He did that. Oh, really? Because I asked, for those of you who don't know, Amber is a very prolific artist, does all kinds of artistic <laughs> pieces. Are you, are you doing, you had a business, Amber? Are you yeah, I, I still have it. It's just a little bit um, harder for me to get out. I have a wood shop, but I don't really do a whole lot right now. Hopefully in a year or two when we have some more space and <laughs> I can set up a real studio and all of that. but. Yeah. yeah, it's on hold. It's on hold right now, but you know, with the hopes of re reopening. So, I like it. You said it's on hold, and not yeah. that it's over or finished. It's just yeah, no, no. The right It'll time. never be finished because there's always like something like, oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna try that out now. Um, I'm always on to the next thing. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm you know I can be impatient, so. I knew like if I said Amber will you make this album cover like she has process she needs to wait till sometimes she's inspired and has the the mental space um, as any artist should um, but I was being impatient and so just um, you know I had some experience with Photoshop and um, got this stock photo that I thought really um, exemplified what I was trying to communicate here and uh, just threw something together. So again, like there, there in some ways this album seems thrown together, um, <laughs> but I kind of wanted it like that. Um, I didn't want to sp spend so much time trying to perfect everything. Yeah. Because to me, hip hop is, is just raw um, and it doesn't, 
perfection actually is um i think sometimes like takes away from the beauty of an album um so you even heard at the end of courage that i <laughs> i um didn't line up the last chorus <laughs> i was worried right. about that yeah <laughs> it, it seemed a little off but i was like ah he's, he's just kind of doing his thing doing a little different yeah happy mistake um yeah <laughs> hey, hey it's the professionally unprofessional way my friend absolutely that's right. yeah that's right all right so what i want to do now if you all are okay with it is i want to go through the game called one word where i uh just say an album cover show you an album and you tell me the first word that comes to your mind either of you can go uh first or second doesn't matter and then if we need to linger on the album and talk about it we can all right so <laughs> First word that comes to your mind when you see the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Heart. Heart. Well, you got to Zion. 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 That's good. If you want to participate, there too, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> or you can just watch this one too. All right. Things fall apart by the roots. Oh, I just want to say sweatshirt. <laughs> We have a root sweatshirt, so it just reminds me of that. <laughs> it's it's still sweatshirt. Um, man, I got so many words going through my mind. Um, I guess I gotta say Badu because I love You Got Me. Mm, that is a good song. That was a very good song. They're all good songs. All right, Damn by Kendrick Lamar. Can you say anything other than Damn? <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> hey, do you like this more than uh, his other album, um, To Pimp a Butterfly? Um, I don't really know. I don't know. We were kind of talking about it earlier. I mean, I don't know. No, okay. Sure. I, I do. I mean, oh, and this is, yeah, this is your album, so. No, but I do, um, <laughs> but per our conversation a few weeks ago, To Pimp a Butterfly is brilliant in every way. Um, it just, um, in terms of my taste, it wasn't my favorite hip hop album of his. All right. Illmatic by Nas. New York. Classic. Oh, good words. All right. 444 by Jay-Z. Ooh, I just want to say tea. Because he spilled all the tea. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. The Minstrel Show, Little Brother. Oh, man. Loving it. <laughs> all right, two more. Uh, all the Beauty in This Whole World, Brother Ali. Light. What'd you say, light? Mm-hmm. Light. Love. I mean, I just think love flows through that album. That song, um, I Got My Own Light, that, that our kids love that song. We listen to that song a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll have to that, play this. Forever. Is that the title of the song? I'm terrible at knowing yeah, titles. Own light. Own light. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, last yeah. one. Mama said, Knock You Out by LL Cool J. <laughs> uh, can I push these words together around the way? <laughs> around the way. Yeah, you can use as many words. This, this album stuck out to you both, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, I. I came in late, like after, um, you know, Panther and um, Bigger and Deffer, uh, which were incredible albums. But um, 
that that was the one that really just like just man those drums on mom on the <laughs> on the title track it's just i, I think man. this is his best work personally really yeah i think hey, so. that's good Mar yeah. marley i think it's marley mar produced the whole thing and he was kind of at the top mm -hmm. of the game it's just it's funky yeah. it's dope it's aggressive yeah. it's great hip-hop don't hip -hop. call it a comeback <laughs> don't, don't call it a comeback that's right Bo and Amber, uh, is there anything that you want to cover that we haven't got to yet? Anything that you were just dying to talk about? Yeah, I just, no. I just really thank you for you, um, Adam and Larita, for your friendship throughout the years. Like, um, you two have been somebody, two people that I. Um, that I always felt like knew where I was coming from when I was, you know, struggling with faith issues and was struggling in the ministry, like never felt judged by either of you. You always listened to what I was going through and never tried to fix the situation. You're just like, Hey, I'm with you. Um, sometimes you, you two were going through a lot of the same things and man, it's, it's a lifesaver. I mean, I, I'm, we're talking about depression and, and suicidal thoughts and things like that to have friends like you is a lifesaver. Right on, man. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, reading reading your book, I was also just like, we gotta, we need to spend more time with them. When this coronavirus is over, yeah, yeah, spend more um, time. Yeah. And I, I think. Go ahead, Bo. People always say, like, my priorities are going to shift after this, but I think, like, it's for real this time. Like, this is nothing I've ever experienced in my life has been like this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for um, coming and chatting with us. And uh, thanks for, you know, struggling through uh, yeah. those many years uh, in pastoring and with depression. Mm -hmm and not giving up um you know i think other people see that and i think it inspires other people and gives other people hope and so i appreciate yeah. that and if you're you know listening or watching uh to this podcast and you suffer with depression or mental illness or whatever you know i, I would just encourage you to not feel embarrassed by it to do whatever you have to do get the help like both very eloquently in your book, talk about um, how you need to ask for help, just in general, just anyone in life, that if you need help, you know, the best way to get it is to ask. And yeah. uh, don't be afraid to ask. There's, there's people in this world that their whole life's mission is to help people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just find them, find those people that will help and love you and, you know, it'll, it'll be helpful. Any, anything you want to say along those lines to people that might be su suffering with the same issue? Yeah, I mean, I think this is such a timely discussion because we've been in this situation where people are, are out of work. Um, a lot of racial trauma has been exposed. Um, so I know that um, old wounds and new wounds um, are opened up right now. And so um, one of the big resources that we go to is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, they do a ton of research, a ton of support work. Um, so you can look them up the, with the acronym AFSP online. 
Um, there's also a suicide prevention hotline. I think uh, it was actually the title of one of Logic's songs. Um, it's 1-800-273-8255. Um, and if you just look up suicide prevention hotline, you can also text. So if you're not like a, a person that likes to call and talk about their issues like out loud, then um, texting is sometimes the next best thing. So um, that, that's available too. If you have um, an internet connection, you can look that up. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And uh, finally, how can people, how do you like people to follow you or stay up with? Um, I really like Facebook's my main um, avenue right now. And you can just look up my name, Bo Brown, B-E-A-U, Brown, like the color. Um, that's really like where I'm most active. I do have Twitter and Instagram, but um, Facebook seems to be where the action is. So that's where and I stay. Is there an al another album that's in the works? I think you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. And um, it's at um, a point where like songs are written. Um, nice. But that's about it. Like, right. so as, as you know, as an artist, like there's a long journey from songs written to actually putting it out there. So um, yeah. But uh, some stuff's in, in, the, um, in the works right now. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And uh, if you all have not heard the album that we've talked about tonight, Proof of Concept, you can buy it. Uh, Bo Brown, is it BoBrownMusic.com? Is that right? Yeah, Bo Brown Music. Um, and then it's, you know, if, I don't mind if people stream. It's on, mm -hmm. should be on all the streaming services. Um, it's on Bandcamp too. Um, just bobrown.bandcamp.com so it's basically everywhere you listen to music it's there and then yeah. the book, no more churches by bo brown is amazon right yeah amazon got a digital version for 99 cents um that's the lowest price i could make it i'm not trying to make money off of it and then there's like a, a hard copy for like seven i think so and we failed to mention well we we i think alluded to it earlier that you did help write another book the boom bap review so if you don't have that book yet make sure you search that on amazon and buy that as well because um, it's dope yeah uh, stay so, tuned for 2021 or yes the boom bap review 2021 coming soon it's actually coming in 2020 how ironic <laughs> well thanks a lot man i really appreciate you uh coming through and chatting yeah. and amber for chatting appreciate yeah it. she had to go um deal with one of the children but <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That. and if you're listening into the podcast thanks for listening bye amber thanks for listening and tuning in make sure you join us next week we have two power hitters we have john robinson and jay rawls and if you don't know who those are then your your life is just not as good as it could be so go out this week Find their music, John Robinson, Jay Rawls, listen to it. It's going to be a great week for you. And then come back next Thursday, same place, same time, and we'll be chatting with them. So, all right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Love y'all. Peace, 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 peace. peace, peace.